The Hound of the Baskervilles by A. Colin Doyle Chapter 3 The Problem I confess that these words had shuddered past through me. There was a thrill in the doctor's voice which showed that he himself deeply moved by that which he told us. Holmes leaned forward in his excitement and his eyes had a hard, dry glitter which shot through with the, from them when he was keenly interested. You saw this? As clearly as I see you. And you did nothing? What was the use? How was it that no one saw it? The marks were some twenty yards from the body. No one gave them a fault. I didn't suppose I should have done it so, had I not known this legend. There are many sheepdogs on the moor. Not, no doubt, but this was no sheepdog. You say it was large? Enormous. But it had not did not approach the body? No. What sort of night was it? Damp and raw. But not actually raining, no. What is the alley like? The two lines of old yule hedge, twelve feet high, impenetrable. Impenetrable. The walk in the centre is about eight feet across. Is there anything between the hedges and the walk? Yes, there's a strip of grass, about six feet broad on either side. I understand the yew hedge is penetrated. A one sight by a gate, near the wicket gate, which leads on to the moor. Is there any other opening? No, none. So let to reach a yew alley, one either has to come down from the house, or else to enter it by the moor gate. There is an exit through the summer house at the far end. Had Sir Charles reached this? No, he lay about fifty yards from it. Now tell me, Dr. Waldemar, and this is important, the marks which you saw on the path, and not on the grass, no marks were shown on the grass, were there any on the same, on the same side of the path of the moor gate? Yes, they were on the gate, edge of the path on the same side of the moor gate. You interest me exceedingly. Another point, was the wicket gate closed, closed and padlocked? How high was it? About four feet high. And anyone could get over it? Yes. What marks did you see by the wicket gate? None in particular. Good heaven! Did you not examine? Yes, examine myself. And found nothing? It was all very confusing, Sir Charles had evidently stood there for five or ten minutes. How do you know that? Because the ash had twice dropped from his cigar. Excellent! This is a colleague, Watson, after our own heart, but the marks. He had left his own marks all over the small patch of gravel. I could stir no others. Sherlock Holmes struck his hand against his knee with impatient gesture. If I had only been there, he cried, it's evidently a case of extraordinary interest, one which presented immense opportunities to the scientific expert. A gravel page upon which I might have read so much had been long ere is smudged by rain and defaced by the clogs of curious presence. Oh, Dr. Mortimer, Dr. Mortimer, to think you should not have called me in. You are indeed much to answer for. I could not call you in, Mr. Holmes, without disclosing these facts. The world I have already given my reasons for not wishing to do so. Besides, besides, why do you hesitate? It's a realm in which the most acute and most excellent of detectives is helpless. You mean that thing is supernatural? I did not possibly say so. No, but you think evidently, evidently think it. Since the tragedy, of Mr. Holmes, there have been, there have come to my ears several incidents that are hard to recall. Recall, 
which settled order to of nature. For example, a fine before the terrible event occurred several people seeing a creature upon the moor which corresponds to this basketball demon, which could not possibly be any animal known to science. They all agreed it was a huge creature, luminous, ghastly, and spectral. I have cross-examined his men, one of them a hard-headed countryman, one a farrier, and one a moorland farmer, who only tell the same story of this dreadful aberration, exactly corresponding to the hellhound of the legend. I assure you that there is a reign of terror in the district. It is a, a hardy man who will cross a moor night. You are a trained man of sights to believe it, it be supernatural. I do not know what to believe. Holmes shrugged his shoulders. I have hitherto confined my investigations to this world, said he. In a modest way, I have combated evil, but to take on the father of evil himself would perhaps be too vicious a task. Yet you must admit the footmark is material. The original helm was material enough to tug a man's throat out, yet he used the other as well. I see you are quite quite gone over to the supernatural but you know but now dr walter tell me this you hold these views why have you come to consult me at all you tell me in the same breath that it's useless to investigate sir charles death you desire me to do it i do not say that i desire you to do it then how can i assist you by advising me so that i should go do with do with Harry Henry Baxterfield, fires the Woodlord Station, Dr. Mortimer, does his watch in exactly one hour and a quarter. He being the heir? Yes, on the death of St. Charles, we inquired for this young gentleman and found that he had been farming in Canada. From the accounts which has reached us, he is an excellent fellow in every way. I speak now not as a medical man, but as a trustee and executor of Sir Charles' will. Well, there's no other claimant, I presume. None. The only other kinsman whom I have been able to trace was Roger Baskerville, youngest of three brothers, of whom poor Charles the Elder, second brother who died young, is the father of this lad, Henry. The third, Roger, was the black sheep of the family, came to the old masterful Baskerville strain, and was the very image, they tell me, of the family picture of old Hogo. It made England too hot to hold him fled to Central America and died there in 1866 of yellow fever. Henry's the last of the Bassevilles. In one hour and five minutes I meet him at Waterloo Station. Have had a wire. He arrived at Southampton this morning. Now, Miss Holmes, what would you advise me to do with him? Why should he Why should he not go to home? Home is his father's. Seems natural, doesn't it? Not. Yet consider the very every Bassevilles who goes there and meets with an evil fate. I'm sure that it is Sir Charles could have spoken with me before his death. He would have warned me against bringing this, alas, the old race, an heir to the great wealth, to the deadly place. Yet it cannot be denied that prosperity of the whole poor, bleak countryside depends upon his presence. All the good work which has been done by Sir Charles will crash, crash the ground if there's no tenant of the hall. Fear least I should be swayed too much by my own obvious interest in the matter. That is why I am bringing the case before you. I ask for your advice. Holmes considered for a little time. Put it in plain words, the matter is this, said he. In your opinion, there is a diabolical agency which makes Donald Moore an unsafe abode for Baskerville. Is that your opinion? At least I might go to the length of saying that there is no certain evidence that this is, may be so. Exactly, but surely if your supernatural theory is correct, 
It would work. It could work with young men evil in London. It's easily in Devonshire. A devil would really merely local powers like a parish university would be too inconceivable a thing you put a matter more flippantly Mr. holmes than you would probably do if you were brought into personal contact with these things your advice then as i understand it is that the young man will be safe in Derbyshire as in london he comes in fifteen minutes what would you recommend i recommend sir you take a cab call off a spaniel who's scratching my at my front door see the woolaloo to meet sir henry basquill then then you shall say nothing to him at all till I've made up my mind about the matter. How long will it take you to make up your mind? Twenty-four hours at ten o'clock tomorrow, Bottom Mortimer. I am much obliged to you if you will call upon me here. If you will be help me, my plans for the future. If you will bring Sir Henry Baskerville with you. I do, sir, sir, Mr. Holmes. He scribbled an appointment, his shirt cuff, hurried off in his strange peering absent-minded fashion holmes stopped him at the head of the stair one more question dr mortimer you say that before sir charles basketball's death several people saw this apparition upon the moor three dear people did did any see it later after i have not heard of any thank you good morning holmes returned his seat that was quite look in inward satisfaction which meant he had a conjugal task about him for him coming out watson Unless I can help you. No, my dear fellow, it is our action. I tend turn to you for aid, but this is splendid, really unique from some points of view. When you ask Bradley's, would you ask him to send me up a pound of strong shakabato? Thank you. It would be as well if you could make it convenient not to return for the evening. I should be very glad to compare impressions as this most interesting problem which has been submitted to us this morning. I knew that seclusion and solitude were very necessary for my friend. These hours of intense mental concentration, during which he weighed every particle, every particle of the evidence constructed, alternative theories, balanced one against the other, made up his mind as if as to what points were essential, which immaterial. I therefore spent the day at my club and did not return to Baker Street until evening. It was nearly nine o'clock when I found myself in the sitting room once more. The first impression I opened the door was that a fire had broken out. The room was so filled with smoke that the lamp, light of the lamp upon the table was blurred by it. As I entered, however, my fears were set at rest, but it was the arisid fumes of small, strong, coarse tobacco which took me to, by the throat and set me coughing. But the haze had a vague vision of Holmes in his dressing gown, coiled up in an armchair with black clay pipe between his lips, spread over rolls of paper lay around him. Cold, cold, Watson said he. Not in this poison, in this poisonous atmosphere. I suppose it's pretty thick. Now that you mention it, thick is intolerable. Open the window, then. You have been at your club all day, I perceive. My dear Holmes, am I right? Certainly, but how? He laughed at my bewildered expression. There is a delightful freshness about you, Watson, which makes it pleasure to exercise any small powers which I possess at your expense. A gentleman goes forth for the showery, murky day. He returns to Macklet in the evening, or gloss still in his cat and his boots. He's been at the Fitcher for their full day. He's not a man with infinite friends. Where, then, could he have been? Is it not obvious? Well, it's, it's, well, it's rather obvious. Well, he's full of obvious things which nobody, by any chance, ever observes. Where do you think that I have been? The Fitcher or so? On the contrary, I went to Derbyshire in spirit. 
exactly my body has remained in this object, has a regret to observe, consume my absence too, large pops of coffee, incredible amount of tobacco. After I left, I stepped down to Sanford's, the old audience map, put shorts in the moor. My spirit was hovered over it all day. I flattered myself I could find my way about. A very large-scale map, I presume, very large. It rolled one section, held it over it to knee. Here you have the particular district which concerns us. This is Bassville Hall in the middle. Which is a wood, with a wood round it, exactly. I fancy you, middle, though not marked under that name. Must stretch along this line with a moor, as you perceive, upon the right of it. A small clump of buildings, here's the hamlet of Grimpton, where my old friend Dr. Mortimer has his headquarters. With a radius of five miles, there are, as you see, only a few scattered dwellings. Here is Laffer Hall, which is mentioned in the narrative. Is a house indicated. Here, and may be the residence of the naturalist, Stapleton, if I remember right, was his name. Here are two moorland farmhouses, High Tor and Felmore. They're in fourteen miles away, the great convict prison, the Princetown. Between and around their scattered points, but stains the desolated, lifeless moors. This end is stayed upon which a tragedy has been played, upon which we may will help to play it again. It must be a wild place. Yes, this is setting the worthy one. The devil did desire to have a hand, fairs of men. Then you are yourself inclining to the supernatural speculation. Their wages may be of flesh and blood. May they not? There are two questions waiting for us to honour at the outset. One is either any crime has been committed at all. Second is what if it's a crime and how does it committed? Of course, if Dr. Baldwin's surmise should be correct, we're dealing with forces outside the ordinary laws of nature. Now there is no end. That is an end of our investigation. We are beyond bound to exhaust all of our hypotheses for falling back upon this one. I think we shut this window, that window again. You don't mind? It's a singular thing, but I find that the contrary atmosphere helps the concentration of thought. I have not, I have not to push it to the length of getting the box. Think, but that is the logical outcome of my convictions. Have you turned the case over in your mind? Yes, I have thought a great deal, a good deal of it in the course of the day. What do you make of it? Very bewildering. It's certainly a character too, of his own. Uh, points of distinction about it. A change in footprints for change, for example. What do you make of them? Mortimer said. A man had walked on the tiptoe down a portion early. He only repeated what some old fool had said to him at the inquest. Why would a man walk on tiptoe down the alley? What then? He was running, Motson, running, but stressfully running for his life, running until he burst his heart and fell dead upon his face. Running for what? Running for what? There lies our problem. There are indications that man was crazed with fear before ever he began to run. How can you say that? I'm assuming that what that causes his fear came across the moor. If there were so, there was so, it seemed more probable. A man who had lost his wits could have ran from the house instead of towards it. If a gypsy evidence may be taken as true, he ran with cries of help for help in the direction where help was least likely to be. Again, whom was he waiting for that night, and why was he waiting for him in the alley rather than his own house? You think we were waiting for someone? Man was early and firm. He could understand he's taking an evening stroll. The ground was damp and the night inclement. It's natural that he should stand for five or ten minutes, as Dr. Mortimer 
with, with more practical sense than I should have given him credit for, in deduced from his cigarette ash. But he went out every evening. I think it unlikely he waited at the moor gates every evening. On the contrary, the evidence is he avoided the moor. The night he waited there was the night before he made his departure for London. Thing takes shape, Watson. It comes coherent. Might I ask you to find me on my violin? We will postpone any all further thought upon this business till we have the advantage of meeting Dr. Mortimer and Sir Henry Bas- Henry Bessaville in the morning. <laughs>